Jesus told the disciples that he was going away. He also told them that it was to their advantage if he went away, because if he went away, he could send the parakletos. Who is that? Get your Bibles and let's talk about it. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They loved him, they believed him, they were committed to him. They were confused because the Lord Jesus continued to tell them that he was leaving. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to stay. But Jesus went on to say, I am going away, but another one is coming. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and look at verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now that word translated helper is the word parakletos. Parakletos is the helper. Paraclete is his name. So his name is helper. Uh, and so Jesus says here, he says, I'm going to give you another of the same kind as me. So he says, I'm going to send another one. I'm going to ask the father. And when I go away, I'm going to send another one who is exactly like me. So he's going to be exactly like Jesus. And Jesus said, better than that, he is going to be with you forever. Who is this? Who is this that he called Parakletos? Paraclete, the helper. He is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's recognize that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a living person who has a mind and will and emotions. He is referred to as the third person of the Trinity, but that doesn't mean that he is the least. That doesn't mean that because he is last, that he is less than the other two. He is referred to as the third person of the Trinity because he is the third person of the Godhead to be more fully revealed in scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all fully present throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout scripture, but they are most fully revealed in certain portions of scripture. In the Old Testament, we mostly have the revelation of God the Father. He is revealing himself, his holiness, his ways, his relationship with his creation. Then in the gospels, we learn about Jesus. And then in the rest of the Bible, we learn about the Holy Spirit. We see him all through the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, and then all through the rest of church history, which has not end as of yet, ended as of yet. So here in John chapter 14 and verse 16, we're told that he is a parakletos. Now a parakletos is literally one called alongside to help. So sometimes you're going to see it translated helper. 
Sometimes you'll see it translated comforter. But in scripture, we also see him called our advocate, someone who can plead your case in court, someone who can defend you, defend your cause. He's also called our counselor and our intercessor, our guide and our seal. He is author, indweller, teacher, revealer, and strengthener. He mediates or implements the power and the presence of both the Father and the Son. So he is not a feeling. He is not an experience or an emotion. He is a person who is just like Jesus and God. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, study Jesus. The Holy Spirit does what Jesus did. Jesus did what the Father said. So they're all just alike. Now back to John chapter 14, and let's look on into verse 17. I'll begin in verse 16 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you, will be in you. So for learning purposes, let's repeat. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And he is another exactly like me. He is God. He is God. As I have been with you, he will be with you. Now in verse 17, we see that Jesus says he is the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. His primary ministry is to show us truth, to give us truth. Now scripturally, the word paraclete is his name. Holy and spirit describe him. So we usually call him the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, his, is what we use as his name, but he is both holy and a spirit. Now, sometimes people are confused because some translations of the Bible, some people refer to him as the Holy Ghost. Well, in our culture, in our vernacular, a ghost is something weird and ethereal, uh, and it's um, just ghost-like. And so it's, it's kind of a bad rap on the Holy Spirit that we misinterpret who he is by calling him the Holy Ghost. But this scripture calls him a spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so remember that when Jesus went into heaven, he was ascending into heaven, he told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, when Jesus makes a promise, he keeps it. Always he keeps it. And the promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. That was the day the Holy Spirit was revealed in a new way. He had a new job, which was to inaugurate and indwell the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So the power for which the disciples were to wait and which they obediently were waiting had to come. They, they said, Jesus said, you're going to have to have the power. Remember in one of our previous lessons, we said they were equipped, but they had to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So they moved from the days of promise to a day of fulfillment because the promise of the Holy Spirit had been for a long time. Jesus himself had been promising the Holy Spirit during the three years that he was ministering on earth. So now the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it literally says when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. And so the fulfillment of Pentecost was the coming of the Holy Spirit where he would no longer just be with men, mankind, he would be in mankind. So here was the person that Jesus sent in his place. Here's the person whom Christ uses to transform human nature. He is the power. He is his, that is his role is to be the power of God, the father and God, the son. So here is the person who can bring and who can give to us supernatural power supernatural power. So realize first up that the Holy Spirit is a person. We need to refer to him as he and not it. He and not it. Now let's look at some of his attributes. Let's do a little bit of a sword drill here. Turn with me at Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. at verses 13 and 14. He says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, what, what was he called in this verse? Hebrews uh, chapter four, verse, I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse 14. He's called the eternal spirit. So the first attribute we're going to list of the Holy Spirit is he is eternal. Then look with me at Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one and verse 35. Luke is describing um, the relationship um, with the Virgin Mary and the announcement that she would be the mother of Jesus. But look in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. The Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High. What's the power of the Most High? That is omnipotent power, all-powerful. So the second attribute we can list of the Holy Spirit is He is all-powerful. Then go to Psalm, the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139 and verse 7. The psalmist says, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? In other words, he is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. The literal translation is he is everywhere present. He is everywhere present. Then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, For to us God reveals them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. What's this telling us about him? He is all-knowing. He's all-knowing. Now look at this list of attributes. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent and he is omniscient. In other words, he is eternal, he is all-powerful, he is everywhere present, and he is all-knowing. What does that sound like? God. Those are the attributes of God. And so look at Acts, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it then that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." Now look in verse 3. He says, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. He called him the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he calls him God. He calls him God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So here we are. Scripture tells us that He is just like God. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. And Scripture calls Him God. The Holy Spirit is God. Listen, there is nothing that God is that the Holy Spirit is not. Did you get that? There is nothing that God is that the Holy Spirit is not. So get it in your mind that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all just alike in nature, in character, in mission, in every way. And so that's the Godhead. And so every, every person has two great spiritual needs. Um, 
we'll summarize this somewhat, but each one of us has two great, great spiritual needs. We need forgiveness and we need goodness. Forgiveness and goodness. Now God sent his only son into the world to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. The cross is about forgiveness. Jesus has come to save us. He is, and by saving us, he forgives us. And so he answered our need for forgiveness on the cross. Now, this is God's gift of salvation. It is for everyone who reaches out and accepts God's gift by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. He is the one and only one who will satisfy God as payment for my sin. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, since you're there already, let's just look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, the King James Bible says, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. For a long time, that word was kind of confusing to me because it almost seems like mm, we ought not say it. But what he's saying is, it is so great, there are not words to describe it. And so this translation changes the word to indescribable. And so Paul calls this gift of salvation, this gift of forgiveness because of the cross of Christ. He calls it an indescribable gift, an indescribable gift. But we need another thing. We need forgiveness and we need goodness. We need goodness. God answered our need for goodness at Pentecost, at Pentecost. Remember that Jesus told the disciples that it would be better if he went away so that he could send the paracletos, the helper, the advocate, the teacher, the comforter, the empowerer. All of those are names that we find for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So Jesus says, look, in this form, in my physical form on this earth, I can't do all that needs to be done in the Father's plan by staying here like this, even in my glorified body. So I'm going to send another one who will be just like me, but he will be one who can live in you, in you. And that's what Pentecost was all about. So he comes as the helper, the advocate, the teacher, the comforter, the empowerer to live in us so that he is everywhere we are. So that indwelling us is the very power of God in us, in us. So all of us have the need to be born again, to be reborn. Jesus had a great conversation with Nicodemus about that. Remember that? He said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, but you've got to be born in a different way from any way you've ever been born before. You've been born of the flesh. You've got to be born in your spirit. Now go back to understanding that we're all born dead in our spirits. 
because we inherited Adam's nature. To inherit Adam's nature means that I'm born in my spirit. Everybody that's been born since Adam fell is born dead in his spirit. That spirit needs to be made alive. And that's what the coming of the Holy Spirit does. That was the picture of it when the church was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost and the day was being fulfilled. So every person needs to be reborn. And in that process of being reborn, I'm recreated into the image that God made me, made man to start with. He's going to impart to us his holiness, his holiness. And so that's why he's called the Holy Spirit. Now, we can call him all different kinds of other things. But he is about being holy. He is about telling the truth. And he is about revealing Jesus. He's about revealing Jesus because scripture tells us that he came to glorify Jesus, to show us his value, to show us what he's worth, to show us who he is. And so God sent the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual life and holiness and purity and goodness. That's an important word. And, you know, sometimes we might cringe a little bit because um, I've been kind of scolded by people. If I say somebody's good, they'll say, oh, none but God is good. Now, I get that part, but I also know that goodness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is that because the Holy Spirit is going to indwell us, he brings with his very presence in us the goodness of God. So in this huge miracle of regeneration, this huge miracle of being born again, we are made alive in our spirits by the Holy Spirit. You know, he made Jesus alive in Mary's womb. That's an interesting comparison in itself to me. But he made us, he's going to make us alive in our spirits. This is when we're born again. He makes us alive in our spirits. He makes us holy. He brings purity and goodness to our lives that we could not have on our own. It's not ours, it's his. So we literally become the clothing of the presence of God. Because why? Jesus was the clothing of God in the world when he was walking on earth. But he said, what? I'm going away. And when I go away, I'm going to send another who will not just be with you. He will be in you. And when he is in you, once again, we'll be able to show Christ to the world. Now, that's when he's allowed to reign freely in our lives. We're going to talk later about what happens when we quench him, when we grieve him. But the power is there. The opportunity is there. The, the calling is there. And so he put it there. So remember that Jesus said now, when he comes, he will be in you. He will be in you. So that's what it is to be saved. You want to know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Bible says. And we'll look at that in more detail later, but just think about that. But understanding that to the gift of forgiveness, 
he adds the great gift of the Holy Spirit. So he has satisfied our two greatest spiritual needs. Forgiveness, he satisfied that need at the cross, and goodness, he satisfies that when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, when we're saved. So there is the work of God that has been done for us. There is the work of God that has been and continues to be done in us. So God's taking care of everything. Everything that has to do with salvation, God is taking care of. He's taken care of it in the past. He continues to take care of it in the continuous present tense with all that's coming for us in the future. That's a lot to think about. Forgiven and made holy. Forgiven and made holy. That's, if we're saved, that's who we are. That's what he's done. He has forgiven us and he has indwelt us with his very being, his very purpose, his very holiness and goodness and purity. That's in us. And that's why sometimes when we're messing around in sin, we feel miserable. It's because that Holy Spirit in us is uncomfortable and he's writhing and he, he, he can't stand it. He can't stand to be exposed to that. And so it's that conviction that's going to help us come back into line with the holiness and the purity of God. I'm one who still loves many of the old hymns of the church. I just do. I like a lot of the new songs, but I want to tell you what. The theology, the doctrine, the truth about God that is contained in some of the old hymns of the church are stunning. I just think you could take a hymn book and preach out of it because it's got that much, they've got that much Bible in them. But I love this. And one of the hymns that came to my mind when I was preparing this lesson is the great old hymn, Rock of Ages. You may have never heard it. It was written back around 1762 by Augustus M. Toplady. Don't really know the circumstances under which he wrote, but oh, the richness of the hymn. Now, when I was growing up, this hymn was sung a lot, but mostly at funerals. I don't know why they deemed it a funeral hymn, except the third verse really kind of has to do with this. But I want to read you, I want you to think with me through the two stanzas of the old hymn, Rock of Ages. Listen to it. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Hear this. Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Save from wrath and make me pure. How am I saved from wrath? The cross. How am I made pure? By the Holy Spirit. Second verse, not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. If I had enough zeal, could my tears forever flow? If I had enough tears, all for sin, all of that could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. The Holy Spirit, who is he? He is God. He is just like Jesus.
We'll start there next time.